Welcome everybody to our brand new series. So I've always wanted to ask. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. Just in the last couple of uh, weeks, we've been witnesses to an extraordinary historical event. Obviously the death and the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. Every channel, every hour of the day, blanket media coverage. Now I haven't seen anything like this since the tragedy of 9-11. There was something about the life of this woman that was lived so much in the public eye. I'm sure she was not a perfect saint, but there seemed to be something good about her. She lived a life of service to others. She put her duty to fulfil her calling before her personal wants and needs. And the values that she based her life on seemed to resonate with something deep inside of us. It's like our very bones affirm that, yes, this was a worthwhile life, a life that connected with other people, that sought the welfare of the least of humanity. What inspired such devotion to service? The Queen was very upfront with the source of her inspiration. Many of the Queen's biographers have talked about her simple but heart-deep devotion to Jesus, his teachings and his example. But the Queen is but one of millions throughout the ages who have dedicated their lives and sometimes their deaths to this man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Who was he? Why was he so influential? Why is time itself divided into BC and AD, before and after the birth of Christ? And why is it that 2,000 years after his tragic death, many of us are still dedicated to continuing his influence? If you are intrigued by this man and want to know more, well, welcome to the club. Over the next six weeks, we are going to explore some of the most asked questions about Jesus. But I warn you now, not everything about Jesus is knowable. And I'm actually glad about that. Some of the greatest things in the universe are mysteries. If you are a follower of Christ, this series may fill in some of the gaps in your understanding and help you to articulate more clearly the hope and the faith that you hold dearly. In our most vulnerable moments, often moments of grief or suffering, most people will question the idea that this physical world is all that exists. And most of humanity holds a fascination with the possibility of a spiritual dimension to life, which is outside of the everyday. Do we have a soul? If we do, does it continue after death? Is there actually someone listening to our whispered prayers? Are we put on this earth for a purpose higher than just surviving and replicating ourselves? Many of you have had experiences that you can, cannot explain or you have heard stories from trusted friends that, that point to the possibility of a spiritual realm to this universe. I believe we live in two worlds. There's a world of everyday work and traffic, and sex, and politics and kids and friends. And then there's the world 
of God and salvation and heaven and hell and souls and spirits and who knows what else. And this series is about the collision of those two worlds. The idea that, contrary to the popular idea that this physical world is all that matters, that these two worlds aren't separate. They both find their meaning and significance in one place, one person, and that's Jesus of Nazareth. The reason we passionately communicate about this is that Christ followers are like starving men and women who have found a banquet table laden with food and we can't keep the good news to ourselves. Now, finding Jesus for me was about finding love and giving it away, finding satisfaction, happiness and contentment beyond anything this world can give you. It's about finding the sort of purpose that gets you up in the morning, that puts steel in your spine when darkness threatens to take over. Jesus will challenge you and confront you and will help you find true comfort in a world that doesn't offer much of that. But first, let's start with a few facts about Jesus. His image has been romanticised as a gentle rabbi who taught us to love one another. Now, this is true, but Jesus was actually a scandalous character who seriously rocked the political and religious norms of his day. He offended just about everyone. The most offensive thing about Jesus to the people of his time, and that offence actually continues today, is that he forces us to pick a side. You can either love him or hate him. Now, I think the average Aussie wants to choose a third way, neutrality. He was an interesting character in history, like Julius Caesar or Shakespeare or Churchill, but nothing more. But the I like, respect and value Jesus as a leader slash example slash teacher option isn't on the table. And why? because Jesus himself didn't allow it. If Jesus is not God as he claimed to be, then he is not a great teacher, but a manipulative liar who has led billions of people astray. But if Jesus is God as he claimed to be, we are confronted with a choice. The choice to reframe our whole lives around him or turn our backs on the creator of the universe. This is big. The life and teachings of Jesus are more than, than just historical events that we dust off and examine like artefacts in a museum. They alter our reality, forcing us to rethink and reconfigure everything about our lives. Such is the risk and the adventure of Jesus. Even now, some of you might be thinking, whoa, this is heavy, not coming back next week. But can I challenge you to hang in there? Listen, learn, assess what you hear over the next weeks as we explore the historical Jesus. The very least you will gain will be interesting historical knowledge. The most you could gain 
could be a whole new way of looking at the world and your place in it. And here's just a, a, a suggestion of a great resource. There's a film called The Case for Christ. You can get it through Apple TV. Um, if you haven't seen it, can I challenge you to watch it? I think it's a great movie, great resource. So let's get started with the most basic questions that you can ask. How do we even know that Jesus existed? Could he have been made up? Well, the answer to that is no. If you read any serious historical research about the person Jesus of Nazareth, you'll find out that it is a settled matter amongst historians. One respected um, scholar wrote that given the weight of historical evidence, it would be easier to believe that Tiberius Caesar was a figure of imagination than to believe that there never was a person Jesus. Like how do we accept the existence of any ancient historical person? Well, it's through the evidence of what was written at the time that has come down to us through reliable historical documents. Obviously, we have the writings of the Bible, but there is also ample evidence outside the Bible. At least 10 ancient writers mention Jesus by name, not followers of Jesus, but first century Jewish and Roman historians with usually an anti-Christian agenda. Here's a quote from um, the famous Jewish historian Josephus. He said, About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he wrought surprising feats. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. Interesting. Now let's look at the evidence of the Gospels themselves. Now, if you're not aware, um, the Bible is divided into uh, an Old and a New Testament. And the New Testament um, are the stories and the eyewitness accounts of, of um, what happened after Christ was born. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the first four books in the New Testament and they're eyewitness accounts of people who had lived on this earth uh, when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. Now, sceptics have the idea that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are made-up stories, legends and myths about a made-up person that a community of people wrote down to start a new religion. Few historians actually believe this to be the case. When standard historical processes applied to these writings, they stand up very well. And we're going to delve into this in more detail next week. But here's a small example in Mark's Gospel um, to show you what I'm talking about. Now, this, this uh, part of the story happens during... Uh, the crucifixion of Christ when he had been arrested by the Romans and he was carrying his cross um, to Golgotha and was so weak that he couldn't continue. In Mark 15 verse 21 it says this, There was a man walking by coming from work, Simon from Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. They made him carry Jesus' cross. Now, 
the writer here named specific names, not only the man, but identifying him exactly by who his sons were. They did this because they expected the readers to know certain people within the story and expected that if the audience had questions, they could talk to that person themselves to verify the facts. Now, this is the opposite of how you would craft a myth if you were writing it. It's not once upon a time language. This is a picture of historical verification. And the Gospels are full of historical events, real people, and geographical locations. They put us in direct touch with the eyewitnesses of Jesus rather than anonymous people or fictitious figures made up by later generations. Another reason that scholars trust in the existence of Jesus as a real historical figure is the bleak reality of the persecution of the early church. One of the questions that I posed for the intro video um, that you would have seen was, did the early Christians make up stories to gain power? Now, we could look at the wealth and power of the church, especially during the medieval and Renaissance eras, but the first centuries of the church were a different story. The early Christians were slaughtered and scattered because of their belief in Jesus. It wouldn't have made sense for the early Christians to willingly suffer this way if Jesus had not existed. The duty of historians is to honestly examine all available facts. And in reporting on the early church, they have sought to explain its rise and accurately determine what the group said about itself. And they have discovered that the early church formed itself as a community worshipping a man they believed was God, a claim that was scandalously offensive both politically and religiously. The eminent historian Howard Marshall wrote this, It is not possible to explain the rise of the Christian church or the writing of the Gospels and the stream of tradition that lies behind them without accepting the fact that the founder of Christianity actually existed. So I think we can start with an agreement that Jesus actually existed. But so what? Why is he such an influential person? Why is the Christian religion the most popular religion across the whole of this earth? What was Jesus all about? That is a huge question. But let me have a go of distilling it in just a few moments. Jesus was about one thing and one thing only. And that was the kingdom of God the reign of God on the earth, that God's will would be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Now, we are at the beginning of the reign of a new earthly king, King Charles III. There is much speculation already about what, about 
what this king's reign will be like. But basically, we all know that life will go on pretty much as it always has. King Charles may be an interesting person to follow, but there is no comparison between Charles's leadership of Great Britain and what Jesus did. His life and ministry was nothing less than the announcement of a new world, and he was boldly saying that he was the one who was ushering it into existence. His message was this, God loves this world and he is in charge of it and he is setting it right. He has come in person as the God-man Jesus to show us what his desire for humanity is, for us to be in a personal relationship with him, to bring his rule to earth amongst all people. And what does the rule of Jesus look like? Unconditional love and acceptance across all races and creeds. It looks like forgiveness and reconciliation. It looks like compassion and justice and humility. It looks like holiness and wholeness of body, mind, and spirit. God's kingdom reigns as each of his devoted subjects that love him live out these values in their families, communities, workplaces, schools, and change the atmosphere around them. In one of the many stories that Jesus told about his kingdom, he compares the kingdom of God to yeast if ever you've, you've made your own bread, you know you can put this strange little powdered substance into flour and water and leave it for a while and all of a sudden some sort of process happens and the yeast multiplies, just making the bread rise up and become something that is delicious and, and wholesome to eat. That was such a beautiful analogy of the kingdom of God as yeast that spreads through our, uh, our life and, and makes it wholesome and good. So what is a Christian? A Christian is one who chooses to be caught up into the momentum of what God is doing in this world. They are gospel people, good news people. And their hope is that they can partner with God to make his kingdom a reality in their time and place and then live forever in the ultimate reality of God's new creation. Wow, that's a lot. There's a good reason why this Bible verse from John is the most beloved in the world. For here is the way God loved the world. He gave his only son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. That's a very big statement about one person. Is it true? Come on the journey with us. So many more questions. Next week, we're going to delve into how can we trust the gospel stories about Jesus. These are important questions. 
So we're looking forward to sharing many more great answers with you.